You know, if you're going to take up running, the obvious goal, get fitter, get faster, or is it? Maybe that's what's getting in the way of you having what you want when it comes to running or actually anything else you do in your life. We'll get into that on today's episode of The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who like to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body starting, you know, feet first, those things at the end of your legs that are your foundation. We are here to break down the propaganda, the mythology, sometimes the straight out lies you've been told about what it takes to walk or run or hike or play or to yoga or CrossFit or whatever it is you like to do. And to do those things enjoyably, efficiently, effectively. Did I say enjoyably? Trick question. Of course I did. Because I know that if you're not having fun, you're not going to keep it up anyway. So make sure you're doing something you enjoy, which is something we're going to be talking about on today's episode. I am Stephen Sashton, co-founder of Zero Shoes. And here we are with you know some Zero Shoes behind us, the host of the Movement Movement podcast. And we call it that because we're creating a movement that involves you, really simple, more about that in a second, about natural movement, letting your body do what it's made to do without getting in the way with things that are supposed to be good for you that may not be, in fact, actually aren't. Uh, so how can you get involved? It's really easy. Nothing you need to actually do, do other than the obvious. Um, spread the word. Give us a thumbs up. Give us a like. Give us a five-star review. You know, Give us any sort of review, frankly. Share this all over the place. If you want help doing that, go to our website, www.jointhemovementmovement.com. You don't need to do anything to join. That's just the word that's in there. But you will find places where you can subscribe to hear about new episodes, where you can find all the old episodes, how you can find us on social media and engage with, engage with us there. Uh, and as they say, much, much more. So let us jump in, shall we? Uh, Martinez, do you want to say hi and tell people who you are and what you're doing here? What's up, everyone? Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. It's Wave World. My name is Martinez Evans, founder of Slayer Front Club, a community of 40,000 members worldwide. And our goal is to get 1 million people to start running and buy you they have right now. Well, so let's break that down because, boy, you did that nice and fast, and I want to hit each one of those. So Slow AF Run Club. Actually, yeah, say something more about the Slow AF part, and then we're going to talk about the body you have part, and then we're going to back up and talk about some other things. Yeah, so Slow AF part. I think when it comes to just the running industry in general, um, if you run anything slower than a 10-minute mile, then the running community don't see you as a runner. But there's thousands, I would say even millions of people out there who run at that pace. And we're just there to affirm them, let them know that they are runners. So that's the slow up part. What was the next part? Uh, bodies of any type. Uh, bodies of any type. I, I think that's another thing that kind of goes into it, right? Is that just thinking about people who are afterthoughts when it comes to running, right? People, when it, when you think about traditional running, everybody just close your eyes and just think about a traditional runner. You see a 300-pound man who's ran over eight marathons and 100 of the, of the different races, including three of the six world majors? Probably not, but that's me, right? And I think just letting people know that they can be a runner in the body that they have right now. They don't have to change it. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You can just start where you at and just move from there. When you tell people that you have run all those marathons and all those other races and you are um, not the typical body type for in their mind for a runner, what's their reaction? And then how do you respond? They're like, oh, wow, good for you. Like, they kind of give me the condescending good for you. But like for me, it's, it's one of those things where like I am on who I am before I got here. And like it's one of those things that I'm, I'm quite proud of, like to be able to run as many races as I have. And I'm quite proud. Um, I love the condescending compliment idea. I have a friend who was 
uh, or is, I haven't seen her in a number of years. Um, so let's say I had a friend whom I haven't seen in a while who was maybe like, you know, five, seven, close to 300 pounds. I mean, this woman was round and she was a triathlete and just did lots of tries. And it always amazed me watching exactly what would happen when she would tell people, you know, I'm going to do a triathlon this week. And you would just watch them again, try to politely respond in some way and never ask like, what would be the obvious question is like, Really talk to me about doing that in your body type, because that is not what I ever imagined, which would have been a much more interesting conversation. Does anyone ever just like, you know, just come back at you with this this straight question to have a real conversation? Absolutely not. Um, I don't think that's the thing about the running industry and or diet culture, right? Like everybody has a preconceived notion of what a runner is or what a person who lift weights is. So um, it's, it's definitely a question that rarely anybody asks me. Well, uh, happily, I am that guy. I'm also the guy who, when someone's riding by in an electric wheelchair, I will stop them and say, "Okay, seriously, what's your top speed?" And um, or, or if they've got if they've got uh, artificial legs, like, "Okay, what can you do with those that you couldn't do with regular legs?" I'm mean, I'm just really curious about you know things that are not the norm. So. From your experience, I mean, given the number of people that you have in Slow AF Running Club who are both slower and often bigger, what's the difference that you experience and how do you work with people about not only the running part and what may be different for people running if they are slower, a larger, but also literally that societal cultural part of how to go out in the world and address this? Absolutely. I would say there's two things you have to worry about, right? Um, I think the first thing is like teaching people how to run and letting them know like the traditional wisdom out there is completely useless for you. Oh, wait. So then I want to pause there before I go to the social part. So again, let's break that down to the teaching them how to run. So I want to hear more about that. And then whatever the hell the second sentence was that, uh, that I lost about how it's come. Oh, well, just the completely different part. So just completely useless. So, you know, just think about me as a 300 pound man, right. And you think about your basal metabolic rate. You know what that is? Like that's the amount of calories you just burn just by just sleeping in the bed, just being right. Yeah. So my basal metabolic rate is about three thousand calories. So now you think about that, and you add on training for a marathon, and you know how they're like, well, you know, on average you burn what a hundred calories per mile. Not a lot, but yeah. I mean, yes, you add it up. I mean, people actually expect that or think that running marathon. Uh, that, that's that that math don't math for me. Yeah, no, that well, so you just made me think of Dean Carnassus, who, when he ran 50 marathons in 50 days in 50 states, would order a pizza and and tell people who were going to deliver it roughly where he would be while he was running to meet him and deliver it. And then he would roll it up like a burrito and eat it while he was running. That was the only yeah. way he had calories. So imagine that, right? I even think about like just like salt intake or yeah. like the amount of salt or potassium you are expiring while sweating. Completely different when you think about just the mathematics and and just the traditional running industry and all of the math is based off of somebody that's like 125 to 150 pounds. Oh, dude, not just all the math. The, the entirety of the running shoe industry right now is based on that same thing. You know, it's like, hey, here's these magic super shoes. And the companies know that those are all tuned to weight and speed. I mean, if you're basically, you know, you can run... Oh, the 800 in under two minutes and you weigh about 145 pounds, those shoes are great for you. For anybody else, not so much. So the whole industry is not geared towards what you're describing. So yeah, the just the physiological part, that's really, <laughs> really interesting. The So back up, let's go back up to the teaching people to run part and that's different than what's happening for other people. And I'm going to 
preface this. Um, do you know, oh God, uh, Heather Vincent at the University of, I think she's at the University of Florida. Don't hold me to it. Mm-mm. No, never heard oh, of her. You're going to want to, I'm going to do the intro between the two of you because she's a researcher. She's an academic researcher, but her big research is on uh, heavier runners and the differences between them and, you know, quotes, felt runners. Um, um, so I think you'd get a kick out of chatting with her, but what's been, talk to me about just the teaching people to run part and how even just the running mechanics may be different for those people, you know, slower and larger than quote, the normal runner. I think this is very interesting, right? And I'm trying to put this in a way that don't make me seem like I'm an asshole, but. Oh, no, um... go, go for the asshole person. That's cool. <laughs> you're, you're among friends here. <laughs> so, you know, I'm a, I'm a certified run coach, right? And I think about when I became a certified run coach and they gave us like the Jack Daniels book on running. And it was like, this is your Bible. Like, this is what you're going to need to run. And you think about like all the other people who just follow that, 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 that notion, whether it's the forums, whether it's Reddit, Reddit, whether it's Let's Run, like all these people are like, yes, Jack Daniels' book is the book. And for slower individuals, none of their stuff works. Not when they don't even have a pace chart, they go past a 12-minute mile or 11-minute mile, right? Or like some of the advice that I, I've seen in there, right? Um, most, and I will just say this, like most how-to running advice comes from elite athletes or coaches of elite athletes teaching you how to run their way. So like that whole notion of like, oh, you know, you need to have a cadence of 180 80 steps per minute. Like, and when you read, like, Jack Daniels is just watching a elite athlete run and he counted the steps and it's like, yep, that's what you should, that's what you should be doing. And then you try to take that to like the novice runner and then they don't do it or they get injured and, and they blame themselves versus being like, no, this is the system. I think you just nailed the whole one of the biggest things sort of across the board with athletics, but especially for running um, is. Exactly that. I think the major companies have literally trained people over the last 50 years to think that if you're having a problem, it's because of you, not because of something they've done, whether it's a product or a teaching method. And mm-hmm. I I find that utterly, it's, I don't want to put it, it's intellectually amazing. It's morally repugnant. Yeah, absolutely. So when, so someone comes to you, they've never run, they are whatever size, whatever weight they are. What's the first thing that you do? Well, the first thing I do is tell them Go run for 15 seconds. Go run for 15 seconds and walk for 90 seconds. I love you so much right now. I can't believe it. Yeah, please continue. Okay, then what's the second? So, well, now let's start there. So they run for 15, they walk for 90. Give me the range of experiences that people have had and what you do with them after that. Well, the first thing is really to get them to understand like what is running to them? Like what what do they have in their head when it comes to running? Is it an all out sprint? Is it a coasting? Just getting people to really understand, like, what is running to you? So 15 seconds, I think, for me, when you think about a novice, like, you can get a lot of information off, like, whoa, that was too much. And it's like, you win it? Like, you're tired after 15 seconds? Like, yes. It's like, all right, you're doing it wrong. Like, you're doing it too fast. (laughs) Like, you're doing it too fast. You're going out too fast, right? So I I think for a lot of people, it just gives them that, um, I, I don't know, I lost the word, but it gives them the notion to let them know like, oh, they're going too fast or they're they're going too slow to start out. I totally love that. I have, it made me, especially for the people who are going out too fast, it makes me wonder how many of them are potentially former runners or were, were more fit or thinner or something in say junior high or high school. And now they're coming back and they still have that in their brain, but a body that doesn't match. Absolutely. So I think about myself, like I played football in high school and college. And running was a punishment. 
And when it came to running, it wasn't, oh, you run at this pace. It was run 110 yards at the fastest pace as you can. And you get there, you're going to turn around, and you're going to do that again over and over and over until you throw up. So really getting adults now who are, you know, adult onset runners or individuals who are just getting back into the the sport to let them know, like, oh, this is not your your high school running. This is not your uh, collegiate days, your middle school days. Like, your body is way different than it was back then, which means you have to do things a lot differently and think about running in a different way. It took me two years. When I got back into sprinting, it took me two years to learn that, maybe two and a half, that when I have the thought, let me just do one more, that was actually the cue to stop. What was how long, how long did it take for you to catch up to for your brain to catch up to your body? Oh man, it, it's a constant battle. And I and one of the things <laughs> one of the things I even talk about in my book was this time where I had just came off the injury and I wanted to like get back to where I was at. Yeah. I had like a car accident and I wasn't able to run. I was like, all right, I need to get back. So I'm gonna do one of those run streak challenges that goes from like Halloween to the new year. And you think to yourself, like, oh, it's just going to be one mile a day or at least one mile a day, right? I was at one point getting up to like eight and 10 miles, like on like a three-week span. <laughs> and then thinking like, oh my God, like my knees, my Achilles, like all this stuff is hurting. It's like, duh. Like, ain't nobody tell you to go run eight miles, uh, eight miles a day for three weeks straight. Well, so I okay. think that's the thing. That's the thing with sports is that it, it's one of those things that can be a gateway to like excessiveness. Yeah. Well, okay. So that was the wake up call. But again, how long did it take till you were able to back up enough that you were not being crazy and stupid? It, again, I'm fessing up two and a half years on my end. Probably about 10. <laughs> well, you know, related to that. So I'm 61 now. So the thing that I've had to adjust for in the last 15 years is the aging part of that. And so, and and just acknowledging things like, well, first of all, since I'm competing, competing, it's right in front of my face. The All-American times get slower every year. And so the idea that I'm going to crush some 30-year-old, I mean, I've never was that stupid. But now, you know, my goals have changed to, hey, if I can just hit the All-American times every five years when they change, I'm going to be a happy, happy man, regardless of how slow that gets. Because that's, mm -hmm. I mean, that that's good enough for me. And I think for me, it's just keep showing up. Like, it's yeah. literally just... Being able to run in the body that I have right now and do that for as long as I can and I'm happy. How many how many people come to you with the expectation that by I mean, let me ask that a slightly different question. When people come to you, how much do they already know about your philosophical stance? And what happens if somebody walks in thinking something very, very different because they haven't taken the time to check you out? Oh man, I would say it's probably about a 60-40 a split. In which direction? In the direction of people don't know my philo philosophical stance. Oh, so then what happens then? <laughs> we have to come to a meeting of the minds. And that's typically the thing, right? Of like, for example, my, my latest client, they are like still doing like the caveman paleo type thing. Mm -hmm. And like having this whole conversation of like, oh, I'm just not feeling good after my, right, after my runs. Like, I feel like I'm bonking. And like me just want to be like, girl, just go eat a piece of bread. Like, why are you like your goals is not adding up? Like you say you want to run a half marathon, but you're doing this diet that does not translate to like your goals. Like, go eat some bread. And this is so conversation of like, oh, I should be able to do this by just eating 
proteins and fats because that's what everybody else says. And it's like, that's dumb. And yeah. like me coming from a coach to be like, I can't say that's dumb, but like, that's where I'm, I'm thinking like, that's dumb. Um, I think you could say, it. I don't think there's a problem there. I think, I mean, it, you know, there are, let's say the, well, I don't know if it's rare or not. There are some people for whom a low carb diet can be functional, but I think this is a, this is a part of the mythology about bigger people is that, oh, oh, you got all that fat. Then you could just be burning that. It's like, no, no, no. Uh, the muscles under there have their own agenda. And so, and like for you, you know, coming out of football where you're primarily a fast twitch guy, um, you need carbs. I've never met, I, I talked to a nutritionist. I've actually talked to a lot of people who think that I eat too many carbs. And I say, find me one power athlete, one sprinter who doesn't have a high carb diet. And they go, well, okay, I can't, I can't think of any point, point closed or whatever the phrase that should be case closed. That's what I was looking for. Um, this is actually one of the reasons, if you know, Dr. Peter Atia, one of the reasons that I really like Peter, we, we become friendly and he was Mr. Anti-carb for years. He spent a lot of money with other people proving that carbs were in fact, not good for you. And that if you ate nothing but protein and fat, basically, uh, even if your calories were equal, you would lose weight because of some hormonal thing. And when the study did not show that at all and showed that no weight loss was all about calories, regardless of composition, which has been done repeatedly, Peter changed his mind. And now his thing is, okay, well, you want to get enough protein and then you want to play with the carbs and see if, you know, what happens to your blood glucose over an average of some amount of time, not just immediately after you eat something. And then that'll let you know what your body's currently, and it may change currently able to tolerate for carbs. And now you know something. And of course, that's more complicated than just, hey, don't eat carbs, which is ridiculous. Looking at the research, because um, my my background is in exercise science. Mm. And just looking at the, the research in itself about these high protein, high fat diets and, and athletics, and it does not help with performance at all. No, the, I mean, it is really, it, it cracks me up for as much as people try to emulate 105 pound Kenyans who are running, you know, slightly over two hours in a marathon um, and look at what shoes they're wearing and what shorts they're wearing and whatever, whatever. They are paying attention to the fact that those guys are like carb machines. Exactly. It, it's like, wait, wait, how come you left out that part of the equation? Because that's, that's the unsexy part. The sexy part oh. is the shoes and the workouts and Speed training. Everybody want to do the sexy part, but it's just the unsexy stuff uh, that actually gets you there. Oh, see, I think the food's the sexy part. That's just me. Yeah. So, 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 wait, I had one other thought that popped in my brain from something you said. All right. So backing up, um, they go out, they do their 15 second run. They're in whatever state they are, good, bad, indifferent. Again, what happens next? Oh, we talk about it. We talk about it. Tell me, tell me, we talk about it. And from there, we, we adjust. And then we go out there and do it again to say, okay, we tried 15 seconds. Let's see what 30 seconds look like. Or let's see what a minute looks like. Let's see, instead of walking for 90 seconds, let's see what walking for a minute looks like. And we start to dial in like what their like base interval for just starting to run looks like. And then start to adjust from there. One of the things I always like to tell my people is that it's not where you start, it's where you're going, right? So you can start anywhere. You can start at zero and get where you need to go. So yes, like, yes, you start with a 15 second run, but that don't mean that's where you're going to end up when it's all said and done. How much do you pay attention to or teach anything specifically about form? Oh, all the time. That That's another thing, right? 
I think first though, uh, for what I noticed from the people that I train, like they don't necessarily get form, form just right off the bat. Like trying to teach a form, like form to somebody who's off the couch and be like, all right, I want to go run. I used to run in high school. Like, let me go do, do it. Go do X, Y, and Z. Like it don't necessarily hit them. Right. It don't hit them the way it needs to hit them versus like coming back after like two weeks. And then like knowing like, Ooh, like, you know, I was running and knee feels funny or my, my hip. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, let's talk about form now because now it, it makes more of an impact to you. And you really understand what, what I'm about to say to you versus coming right off the bat to be like, okay, let's talk about foot placement and, you know, holding your hand lightly so that like a pebble can move freely, but it won't fall through or so on and so forth. Or like, or like holding a bag of chips where you won't crunch it, right? Like, like that stuff won't hit them as as properly right off bat versus hitting them a couple weeks afterwards. You, you don't think that suggesting to a three hundred pound runner to imagine holding a bag of chips wouldn't be a problem? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking now. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to handle that one. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> but those are the mental cues. That's the, those are the mental cues that they give us, though. It's like, well, oh, no, no, no. It's like worse. They usually no. The cue is usually you know think about holding a potato chip in one hand, and that would just make me want to reach for the bag. So at <laughs> all, I, there, there are you know I I'm not a bingy guy in general unless it's potato chips uh, or mm-hmm. French fries or anything crunchy. Actually, anything crispy, crunchy. Uh, you know, you can't keep it in my house. It's really it's just bad news. But potato chips in particular, especially if, and look, this is not a plug, but I'm going to have to say it, Maui onion potato chips, pure crack, just Mm. FYI. Um, All right. Well, since you said the words foot placement, I'm going to, I'm going to come back and ask you about that. What do you say about foot placement? A couple of things, right? One of the things I I try to get people is like, we, we just go with just running in place. Like, let's start with running in place. Like, how does this feel? How does your legs and your feet land under you. Like, let's just run in place. And like, let's work on these two cues of like, what's your lean look like and how you're landing. Again, I can't tell you how much I love you. This is, this is a thing that I did way back when I met a guy who was a big deal venture capitalist. And he said, well, you know, I love what you're doing, but I mean, I can't run in your shoes because I got uh, plantar fasciitis. And I looked at him, I went, I don't actually think you do. He's like, what? I said, well, it looks to me like you have tight calves, but let me just prove it to you. I said, let's see what happens. Can you can you just get up on your toes, just like lift your heel off the ground? He goes, yeah. I said, any problem? He says, no. I said, hey, you don't have plantar fasciitis. Can you run in place? He goes, yeah, and tried it. It's like, cool. How's that feel? He goes, fine. I said, great. Lean forward just a little bit. And he starts running. And as he's running away, he's like, God damn it. And the guy still went and got surgery because, you know, I'm just a hippie looking dude. And his expensive doctor told her he told him he needed surgery. The thing that that I'm going to toss out there, there's two things. One, there's an event uh, I was at the end of last year called the Mountainland Running Summit. It's a bunch of researchers about running um, and coaches as well coming out talking about the causes and cures of running injury. And for the first time, they had, they had more speakers than ever before. And for the first time, there seemed to be universal consensus. The number one cause of injuries is overstriding. End of story. Put your feet out in front of you when you land, you're screwed. And yes. everyone agreed. And then there was one guy there doing gait analysis, my friend Doug Adams from Run DNA, and every one of the people he tested overstride, didn't and did not know it. That's the part that gets to me. 
And um, I'm happy to report I was not one of those people. Uh, and that's one of the things that got rid of all my injuries. When I was an overstriding sprinter at first, I didn't know what the problem was. And when I went barefoot, I realized I was overstriding, stopped doing that. And I haven't basically had a sprinting injury in 14 years, which is kind of 15 now that I think of it, which is pretty much unheard of. So I love exactly what you just said. The second thing to reiterate on that, do you know um, Nick Romanoff from Pose Method Running? No. You don't need to. I mean, I love Nick dearly. Uh, the the important part is the same thing. He's like, the key thing is getting your foot landing underneath you. That's it. And if you do that correctly, a lot of the other things are going to work out. So his basic idea is as you get better at any physical movement, the better you get, the more you become like the other people who are really good with, you know, minor personal idiosyncrasies, but the mm -hmm. fundamentals look the same. And for the fundamental for effective running is when you're landing your foot, you're not overstriding, your foot's as close to under your center of mass as possible, and your knees are basically aligned, um, or you know, your trailing knee can be a little ahead of your stance leg, but that's a whole other story. And then what he does is like, watch it shows you on video and then gives you some cues to try to figure out what you need to do to get closer to that more ideal thing. And backing up to Heather Vincent, what she found was heavier runners tended to have better form that way because they just couldn't actually move as easily to do things like overstride or have their trailing leg way behind them and you know then catching up. Um, so she was seeing they were often having better form than runners half their size because they didn't have much of a choice at that point. Do with that what you will. <laughs> that, that was a long tail after my compliment for, <laughs> for, for loving your loving your your um, get your feet underneath you and lean a little bit. Um, there's something I that I do with people when I'm teaching them about barefoot running, but the barefoot part is actually not relevant. Uh, but that's why they come is we'll go out into a park and I go. Um, Take a look at those like three, two-year-old kids. Their heads are just ginormous. And when they run, they basically, their head kind of leans forward and then they try to catch up to their head and they can't. So do that. And then when, just when you think you're going to catch up, tilt your head in a different direction. And then just like, don't have to go in straight line, go in circles and zigzags, but let your head be the thing that moves you and try to catch up to your head. And trust me, people will think you're an idiot, but they're far enough away. They're not going to recognize you. And if they do, they're going to want to come over and play because we're going to look like we're having a blast in about 30 seconds. <laughs> and then slowly I get them to, you know, not lean their head so much, not fall over so much, and they're getting their feet underneath them. So I just adore that that's the foundation that you're starting from because without that, your people are going to be screwed. Yeah. It's as simple as that. I, I try, I'm a no-nonsense type of guy. And I, I try to keep things as simple as possible. I like it. Well, I need to back up uh, way, way back to your story which is the simple thing. How did it occur to you to say, I think I'm going to become a slow AF marathoner? I don't think it occurred to me. <laughs> well, it happened one day. You didn't find yourself at the end of 26 miles going, where the heck did I just go? <laughs> didn't necessarily occur to me. Uh, so <laughs> it, it started more or less like this. I'm working a job, a uh, commission sales job in Men's Warehouse. I was on my feet eight to 10 hours uh, a day, I developed some hip pain because I was wearing hard bottom dress shoes on my feet. Went to go see a doctor, uh, sat down, told the doctor I was having some hip pain. And he was like, oh, I know why you in pain. You fat, you need to lose weight or die. So great, great, um, great bedside manner. So we had this huge argument because argument he's like, you know, you need to start walking to lose weight. And all this other stuff, and I'm like, so you, so you didn't even hear that I said I'm on my feet for eight to ten hours a day. Like I'm literally in a suit 
in dress shoes walking around. So since you're calling me fat and telling me I'm going to die, well, I'm going to run a marathon. And he laughed at me, told me, it's the dumbest thing he heard in all his years of practicing medicine. And he also went on to say, if I did attempt to run that marathon, I was going to die on the course. So now you didn't tell me I was going to die at least three times during this doctor's appointment. <laughs> and um, I just left. And on the way home, uh, I remember driving into a running shoe store, like running, uh, driving past a running shoe store, and I uh, made a legal U-turn and went inside and told the only running shoes, and the rest was history. So is um, saying screw you to authority something that shows up in other parts of your life? Absolutely. I have a huge <laughs> problem with authority. <laughs> um, yes, you are preaching to the choir. I've never had a, what's it called, job? Uh, yeah, because I don't. It wouldn't end. My, my dad actually said to me one day when I was asking him for some money to, for something I was starting, he said, why don't you just get a job? I said, yeah, that wouldn't end well for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and so what was your, so what was the experience of uh, both training for and then doing that first marathon? How did it compare to what you were imagining? So it was hellacious, hellacious. I, I even think about my first run, like my first run was literally um, 15 seconds and I fell off the treadmill. Because uh, I was inconveniently sandwiched in between two gazelles who were running like eight and nine on a treadmill. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to do seven. And um, that did not end well. So after, you know, I bruised my ego and stuffing myself up, I'll say, all right, I need to figure out like how this stuff works. And um, bought every single running book and like just tried to teach myself how to run. And I would say it took me about 18 months from the time that I met that doctor to me running my first marathon. And during that period, like I was running, um, like I trained like house to 5k, did a 5k and then trained for a 10k and then did a 10k and then run a bunch of 10ks and then ran a train for a half marathon and then like ran a couple of half marathons. And then I was like, okay, I think I'm ready for this full marathon. So at what point did you send a picture back to the doctor? Oh, we haven't, can you repeat that? Yeah, I, I said, uh, at what point did you send a picture back to the doctor showing you crossing the finish line? Um, never, because I never went. Oh, come on. You didn't You didn't get the pleasure of demonstrating that I'm he back was- back to the doctor again. But yeah, but you but you at least could send him an email and say, hey, take, take a look. You know, the thing is, it's been 10 years, or actually 11 years now. I don't even live in the same place that I even went to, you know, went to the doctor's at. It's been so long that I don't even know the doctor's name. I don't even know where his office is at. Like he's not even in my lexicon anymore. Um, so I, I really don't think much about the doc. No, I can appreciate that one. Well, then from there, so you're starting. To... He don't think about me. Like I'm just a uh, probably another fat. I, I think I'm just another fat man that the that the doctors caught fat for that day. He probably don't <laughs> think about me either. Yeah, no, I'm sure that's true. Uh, I hope that uh, someday that doctor hears what you're up to and publicly apologizes. That would be a fun bookend to a chapter. Yeah. Bookend to a chapter. That's a horrible mixed metaphor. Um, so you're starting to run marathons. At what point did it did and how did Slow AF Running Club happen? So Slow AF Running Club happened when I got Helco running New York City Marathon. What What did someone say? Somebody called me slow as fuck and told me to go home. <laughs> and what did you say in response, knowing that you don't handle things like that with the aplomb of the queen, the former, the late queen of England? I gave him the middle finger and I kept running. <laughs> and then after I finished the race, I was like, you know what? 
I'm gonna put slow y'all from the front of my shirt because like I'm proud uh being slow. Like I love it. I, I could not be out here, but I'm out here and you know, I'm getting criticized from somebody who's on the sideline drinking a beer and I'm the one who's actually running. That's brilliant. The, um, the when I was living in New York City, they had a five borough bicycle race and they put all the weird bicycles up front along with, you know, whoever they thought was going to win the race. I had one of those weird bicycles. Um, I think they need to get like, you know, whatever that front pack in, a, in any marathon where it's always the elite whatevers. I think they need a pack of slow AF runners. They do. I like I start so. starting the race front of the race. I think so. Yeah. Um, I, the, you know, the, it, it really is. I don't want to put it. Um, yeah. I get really angry just about how companies have manipulated the messages about athletics and about physical activity, not even athletics. Let's just say physical activity in ways that make it seem inaccessible to the people for whom it would be the most beneficial, not even for, you know, again, competing, just like for their lives and enjoyment and to do something like, you know, put the slow AF runners up with the everyone else runners, I think would be an, a really nice step to start a conversation. Yeah. You know, that is a good question, man. And I, I think, I think another thing to add to that is that like, you know, you think about the notion or the stat they always like to put up like 80% of the U.S. population is like overweight or or, or obese. And I, I look at these larger brands and being like, but do y'all not like money? Because y'all all always tar targeting the 20% versus the 80%. That's really interesting. What if, if they were going to that, <laughs> you know, it's what I'm having a flashback though to when, um, Dove did their campaign and it was all overweight women. I mean, whatever that term means. And the conversation was fascinating. I mean, part of it was like, hey, good for you. And the other part was you're exploiting these people. And um, and I can't argue with both of those because, yeah, it's it's a good thing. And B, it was exploitative. It was, it, it came out of nowhere in a way. It's sort of like, I don't know if you've seen this. I had I had this conversation with a number. One, one of my favorite things about being a sprinter is that when I'm on the track, most of my friends and most people I'm hanging out with are black. So we get to have conversations that I don't have to get to have in Boulder, Colorado, where um, it's very diverse. There's every different kind of white person. And so when the outdoor industry started saying there's not enough representation of black people, suddenly the cover of every magazine was black athletes. And I was saying to my sprinter friends, does that feel like you're start, you know starting to get attention or that it's just pandering and they all went that one <laughs> pandering big bags so so in a similar vein i mean for for one of the big companies to address bigger bigger runners runners athletes whatever their people are doing i think that one of the challenges is to do it in a way that still feels authentic and not exploitative and i have no idea how they would do that well they got billions and trillions of dollars i'm pretty sure they can get creative or hire the people who can get creative, so <laughs> it, it, it can be that way, right? I think that's another thing about equity. Like, okay, they, then they got the resources. Well, then let me ask you the ballsy question: Why aren't you applying for that job? Because it's not available. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on! Take your own job, dude. I think seriously, <laughs> this is the kind. I'm, I'm totally serious. Look, so I'm going to talk about my company. If we had the resources and you came to me and said, I want to build out this, you know, this piece of the puzzle because your product can, can and does work for athletes of all sizes, all shapes, all whatever. And this is an underserved population. 
I, I can't tell you how much I would be jumping at the chance to find a way to make that work. And we're a small company. We do not have billions of dollars floating around. We're not on a on a you know hundreds of millions of dollars campus with uh, more money spent on the fountain outside of the front door than they actually spend developing a product. So I'm not saying that we have that job open. I'm saying, hey, that'd be an interesting conversation. Um, but I'm also saying for places that have bigger resources where it could make a bigger difference, hell, where's the downside for, I mean, I'm not saying you should take the job or if you want it, but I'm saying this is an opportunity. I, I agree with you. Someone should try and make that move. I agree. Someone should try to make that move. And I think the other thing is that, you know, I've had partnerships with very large companies and things of that sort. And what it really comes down to is that they don't really care. Okay. Then I'm going to back up a minute or so. I don't know what resources it would take. I can't not making a job offer. I can't legally do that, but we need to have this conversation offline and here's how it's going to start. I'm going to send you some shoes both, you know, for performance and for casual slash recovery. Actually, all of our shoes are recovery shoes because they're all, you know, let your toes spread, nice and flexible, let your feet move. Great for circulation, great for keeping the muscles moving. If you like things and if you, and this is no pressure, even though we're saying this publicly, if you like things and you think, huh, there may be a there there, then we'll talk and we'll see if there's a way to make it happen. It might not happen today, given the resource that we have or more accurately, the resource that we don't have as a company our size, but I want to be part of that conversation. Yeah. Let's continue right. to have these conversations. All right. That was simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, hell, I can't think of anything. Uh, any, it, let me say this. Anything that I missed that we need to talk that about? Simple. That was easy. Uh, I can't think of anything. I mean, this has been a total, total blast. And I hope, you know, this is going to sound funny. How do I put this? If somebody shows up for a slow AF running club and they are not, you know, 300 pounds plus or whatever they're not I'm making up numbers can just quote, you know, I don't want to use the word normal. It's so horrible. Um, are people who are not what we've talked about of being bigger, slower, are they showing up and what happens when, and if they do, you know, yeah, they, some of them do show up. And I think some of them show up because we don't have the, I don't want to say taxiness that some of the running industry have, but we are a low, low to no pressure type of group. So they show up because they know that like we're not competing. I love it. You know, the competing side, my favorite thing about that is no one's ever honest about it. So like when I show up at the starting line and there's a whole bunch of guys who are like really, really intense and there's like, oh, have a good race, man. Good luck. And I go, hey, hey, look, look, there's no prize money involved. We're all old. We just want to get to the finish line and be healthy and have fun. And I totally want to kick your ass. <laughs> You know, and if you're if you're honest about both sides of the equation, then it gets really, really enjoyable. And, yeah. so, you know, so the yeah, coming out because it's no pressure. I think that is dreamy. So, so one of the things I usually tell people is, is like, you know, uh, one of the things I learned the hard way or just learned in general is that most races are permitted as a parade. So <laughs> if you think about nothing, like we're all just part participating in a running parade. And like, if you're not an elite athlete, like none of this stuff matters. Like we, we pay to get a stale bagel, a half a banana and a metal that costs $3 in China. We, we pay for all of it. So like, let's just all get to the finish line safety safely and have fun along the way so that we can do it again in a couple months. 
I love that. And if I were a better man, I would end it on that, but I'm not. Um, my, uh, my, my thing is as a 61 year old sprinter, I'm in this horrible, horrible age bracket. So the guys up to 35 are still rocket fast and everybody pays attention. The guys over 75 are crazy slow, but the fact they're doing it, everybody pays attention in my age group. They're going out to get a beer. (laughs) (laughs) So Martinez, people want to find out more about you, let alone slow F running club, tell them the ways they can do that. Yeah, the best way to do it is go to slowafrunclub.com. That's slowafrunclub.com. Or you can find me on all socials. I'm at 300 pounds and running on all things social media or at slowafrunclub. There we go. That's what I imagined you said, but got to have you say it. Beautiful. Well, once again, Martinez, total, total pleasure. Um, I'm thrilled that we were able to make this happen. I am going to get you some shoes to play with do it that way you will. But more importantly for everybody else, thank you. I want to hear your comments about this. I want to hear you uh, going out and checking out Slow AF Run Club, seeing what you discover. And reminder, go back to www.jointhemovementmovement.com to find our previous episodes, to find all the places you can engage with us on social media, all the places you can get this as a podcast uh, or on video. Uh, And if you're not getting it where you want to get it right now, and of course, uh, like I said, give us a review and a thumbs up and a like. If you want to be part of the tribe, just subscribe. That's sort of the gist of that. And last but not least, if you have any requests, any suggestions, anyone you think should be on the show, any other recommendations, if you think I have a case of cranial rectal reorientation syndrome, doesn't matter to me, you can drop me an email. That's move, M-O-V-E, at jointhemovementmovement.com. And until then, just go out and have fun and live life feet first. <laughs>